Solitaire Rose Novelcast, Graceland, Part 2. That's right. It's been uh, over six months since the last episode. Sorry. No matter what excuses I give, it wouldn't be good enough. But really, it's um, life gets in the way. However, here's a new episode. The next two episodes are already recorded. They just need to be mixed. Um, the book had to go through an extensive re-edit as I was reading it. I found that there were a lot of uh, continuity flaws that needed to be fixed. And, uh, yeah, there were, there were some plot issues that needed to be ironed out. That's one of the reasons I'm doing Novelcast, because when you read a book out loud, the flaws really jump out at you. So hopefully those flaws have been all fixed and ironed out. What you need to know. Five years after civilization has collapsed due to a zombie infestation, a small band of survivors is going toward Graceland, led by people who believe that Elvis was a spiritual being and that his home, Graceland, is a place of safety. Chapter 2 Far away from the rest of the camp, a pile of zombies had been set aflame after they were checked over by members of the group. All of them were fresh, as Ray called them, with only a couple of the bodies having darker, brownish blood. After the search, Joel, who was the leader of the Graceland Pilgrims, pulled together a small group of people to talk over what had happened the night before. Ray was one of those that Joel wanted at the meeting. With them were Mary, Joel's common-law wife, Mark, who had joined up with the group around the same time as Ray, Thomas, who'd been with the group since they left Arizona, and was the man Joel turned to about defending the group from attacks, and an African-American man named Hunter Bray hadn't talked to before. Thomas was a gaunt man in his late 40s, who knew almost as much about weapons as Ray did. He was a soft-spoken man who spent a lot of time teaching people about how to shoot. Thomas wore a ragged flannel, military pants, had a close-cut beard, as well as very short-cut blonde hair. Hunter was a bit different, and he sat quietly with the group. He was around six feet tall, had long dark hair with streaks of gray, and a full beard with more gray than his hair. He wore an old Batman t-shirt, baggy jeans, and had a huge barrel chest that showed that at some point he'd been a bodybuilder, or at least lifted a lot of weights. They were meeting away from the rest of the group, in the woods, so that the other people wouldn't watch them. Joel talked to each of them at some point, letting them know that he wanted to talk to them before sundown. Ray has let me know that most of the zombies from the attack last night are fresh, newly risen. With us being so close to a major city, I thought it might be a good idea to get some ideas about what we do next, Joel said, not mincing words. Mark was holding on to his shotgun tightly and was the first to speak. I think going to a city is a bad idea. That's where the dead tend to stay looking for new victims. If we take the group in there, they'll be able to surround us and take us all down. I know I said I'd come along with everyone to go to Graceland, but the fact that there's so many fresh zombies makes me think this is a bad idea. 
Joel was about to speak when Mary interrupted him and said, You can give up if you want, but we're so close to the promised land that we have to keep going. We have to get to Graceland. It's the whole reason for our journey. If the reason for your journey is to head into a nest of zombies, you didn't need to travel all this way. You could have done it anywhere, Mark stated. Joel held up his hand to stop the discussion, and then said, We don't have the luxury of arguing. Mary is right about one thing. Everyone who came with us across the country came for the hope of a better future. I think we can give them that future, but I don't want to do it in a way that's too dangerous. We have children with us. Families. I don't want to put them at any more risk than we have to. Just being alive is a risk, Mark said, not bothering to show any sort of tact. I can set up people with weapons, Thomas started, but if they surround us, we won't be able to get ammo into the guns fast enough. Last time I went into a city, there was a group of about 50 of those things around me before I could figure out what was going on. They move slow, but there are so many of them, there's no way to outrun them once they get strength in numbers. We need to find an ammo dump of some kind if we're going to make an incursion into the city. I don't think that's the best way to go about this, Ray said. What should we do, Joel asked, deferring to Ray. Military tactics are that you send in a small advance force to get a good idea of what's going on before you send in your main force. We should send a small group of about five to eight people to scout the area, get a good idea of what we're looking at, then we get back together and decide with that information. Right now we're just taking shots in the dark. I agree, Hunter said in a voice that reminded Ray of a radio announcer. The last thing we need now is to get everyone excited, wanting to storm the Bastille. We need to take the thing carefully or we could lose a lot of people. They could end up dead. Or worse. Joel nodded thoughtfully as he intoned. All right. Ray, put together a team of eight people and head out tomorrow morning for Memphis. Mary, you and I will let the people know what the plan is, and we'll have them secure this area so we can defend it better. Thomas, if you don't go with Ray, I'd like if you helped with that. Hunter looked over at Ray and said, If I'm not on that advance team, you and I are going to have words. Hey, someone wants to sign up for the Suicide Squad? I'm going to let them, Ray said. He and Hunter laughed, but Joel didn't even crack a smile. It's not a suicide mission. I expect everyone to come back safely, and I further expect that no one takes any big chances. Don't be a hero. Get into Memphis, go as deep as you think is safe, and come back with all the information you can. Both Ray and Hunter muttered, Yes, sir, as if they'd been reprimanded by the principal. I don't like waiting, Mary said. We've been traveling for months, and now we're just a couple of days away. We're going to set up a camp and sit around and wait? Joel put his arm around her shoulder and said, I know, but we have to make sure that Graceland is as we believed. Soon we'll be in a safe place, walking in the footsteps of the king. Ray, Mark, and Hunter nodded in deference to Joel, and then walked back to the camp, slowly. Mark was the first one to break the silence. I think she's gone round the bend. You two aren't buying that Graceland crap, are you? I don't know, Hunter said. At first I went along because I was sick of being in an isolated home with my wife and the neighbor girl. But these people really believe that there's something special there. Maybe I've been on the road with them too long, but I'm at the point now where I would be surprised if there wasn't something special about that place. It's all about belief, isn't it? Ray said. They think the place is special, and even if it's got some broken down old tourist trap, it's a connection to the way things used to be. 
they'll want to make it special. Or they'll make it into a tomb, Mark said cynically. I don't think so, Ray said. I've never given much of a damn about believing in things, but if they want it to be special, they'll do it. Sounds like a plan to me, Hunter said. Mark shook his head and said, I'm starting to think that the only sane man left on the planet is me. Who are you thinking of picking, Ray? Well, Ray said, you know you two volunteered, right? I also want to bring along Angela and Alice. They were pretty good in that fight back at the old house. I don't know the rest of the group. I'd like to bring along Thomas, but Joel made it pretty clear he wants him to stay here, Hunter said. So I'll have to bring along Jenny, who travels with me. That gives us six. What was the name of that kid who got messed up last night? He paused. No one remembered. Anyway, he'd be a good pick. Anyone who comes that close to dying is ready for a fight. There's another guy I've been a couple of firefights with. Name of Bo. He likes getting in the shed. I don't know if he's all that good at being sneaky, but he's got a hell of an eye when it comes to bat blasting skulls. Sounds good, Ray said. Let them know to meet me tonight about an hour after sundown. We'll plan how we're going to do this thing. Mark, you let Angela and Alice know. Tell them that if they don't want to come along, they don't have to, but I'd like to have them with me. What are you going to do, Mark asked. I got a couple of things to get done before I can go anywhere. Let's meet up where Joel had us all get together, he said as they walked into the camp. Not a good idea. I don't think I want a chance being in the woods in the dark, Hunter said. I have guard duty on my first watch right over there. Why don't we meet up there? I'll make sure to have the kid as my second so we won't have anyone listening in on us. Good idea. I'll meet up with you then, Ray agreed. While the others went to talk to the other recruits for their trek, he went directly to his tent and dug out his military radio. He shoved it in the bottom of his backpack and then started packing the things he'd need for a reconnaissance mission. After he was done packing, he took a quick nap, refreshing himself after the night before, knowing that over the next couple of days he might not get much sleep as he would need. He was awoken by Angela saying, It's time. He sat up quickly, instantly awake, and shoved the backpack by the front of the tent. Outside his tent, Angela and Alice were waiting. When they saw him, they started walking toward the meeting place. So you want us to, Alice started to say, and Ray quickly shushed her. We'll talk in a bit. Don't get ahead of things, he intoned. They walked through the camp in silence. The events of the previous night hung heavy over the entire group as he saw children staying close to campfires. The adults had weapons on their hips, ready to shoot at the first sign of trouble. Ray looked at the faces of the people as he walked through the camp, saw the past five years had been etched there, and even people who should have looked young looked old and haggard. Most of them had heavily tanned faces, and all of them looked grim, determined, and on edge. Before the fall, people dressed for looks, but the people in this camp dressed practically. Layers of clothing, most of the men wearing faded t-shirts with flannel shirts or jackets over them, and heavily worn pants like blue jeans or military fatigues. The military screwed up a lot of stuff before things fell apart, but they knew how to make clothes you could hike in. That was for sure. There were twice as many guards as normal patrolling the outside of the camp, and they had fires near them so they could see into the woods, watching for anything that might come out toward them. Ray and the others walked to where Hunter and Tommy were standing guard. Tommy looked a lot different than he had the night before. When Ray had him in his sights, he looked like some gangly kid, too tall for his pants and too young to be holding a gun. Now he looked like the rest of them. 
just with fewer lines marking time served on his face. You okay, kid? Ray said casually. Yeah, thanks, Tommy said, having trouble meeting Ray's gaze. You'll do the same for me, Ray said, not questioning th that the situation would arise. Mark and the others joined them soon after. They sat in a circle on the ground, keeping the fire between them and the woods. Ray noticed that everyone was keeping their gaze on the woods. So what's the plan, boss man? Angela said with forced joviality. Ray frowned. Yet again, he was being put in the role of being in command. He didn't like it at the army base. He didn't like it during the war. And he sure didn't like it now. Then again, he was the only one with military training. He looked over the group. Two tough women, an angry loner, a kid who couldn't be more than 16, three people he didn't know at all. It was like some horrible buddy movie. The plan is really pretty simple. If all of you are in, we leave a little before dawn. We make our way to Memphis, sneak as far into the city as is safe, then come back here and report what we see. Anybody here good with making maps? He paused, looking at the empty faces of the people he was with, and then said, Fine, I'll get the map making. That means a couple of you will have to take point, and the rest will be back up. It'll take at least a full day of travel to get to Memphis, and maybe a bit more. I want to go into the city in daylight. Makes it easier to see, but it also makes it a lot harder for them to hide. It's not a search-and-destroy mission. We go in, we get a good idea of what we're up against, then we come back and report. It's better for all of us to get back alive and unhurt, rather than to kill a thousand of those dead bastards. You got it? Bo was the first to speak up. I'll take point. I've been doing it for a few months with these guys, and I don't see any reason to change that. I will too, Tommy said. No, Ray said quickly. Point is for someone who's experienced. I need someone who's been through the shit. No offense, but this is your first time at the dance, and I don't want you trying to lead. That's bullshit, Tommy started, but Hunter put his hand on his shoulder to quiet him down. Rule number one for this mission, kid. If I say jump, you say how high, and wait until I tell you to come down. Questioning an order will get you killed quicker than trying to take candy from a zombie. How about you, Mark? You up for some hard work, Ray said. Mark pulled his shotgun from the improvised holder he wore on his back with one smooth motion. I have the tools, and I have the talent. He smiled a very sly grin and said, Nice and smooth, right, Ray? Nice and smooth, Ray answered, returning the grin. The phrase was an inside joke between the two of them, how they would judge each other when they got into a firefight. So, Angela said, what do the rest of us do? Just because they're on point doesn't mean you aren't going to be watching for things. They'll go ahead, and the rest of us will move a bit slower, more cautious, looking out for them and getting a better read on things. I want enough people that we can scout a building or two, maybe get some supplies, and some information if it's available. I haven't been in a city since they shut down the army bases and turned off communication, Ray said. I have, the woman with Hunter said. She's a slight woman. Couldn't have been more than five foot four, maybe a little over a hundred pounds, with a short shock of red hair, lightly tanned skin, with a smattering of freckles across her nose. She was dressed in baggy fatigues and a shirt that clung to her chest. She was wearing a gun slung low on her hip, and was wearing a battered hat to complete her look. She looked off in the distance and said, I was trapped in a city for a month after everything fell apart. It was bad, really bad. It's all right, Jenny, Hunter said, putting a hand on her back. 
and she shrugged it off. No, it isn't, but I'll make it, she said. Looked like Mark was going to make a sarcastic comment, but Ray shot him a look that kept him quiet and said, Are you sure you want to go with us then? This could bring back a lot of those memories. I'm sure, she said, quickly and without inviting any more discussion on the issue. All right, then, Ray finished. The plan is for us to get into Memphis, see what we can, get out safe and alive. What about Graceland, Tommy asked. The goal is to make it there, but if we can't, we turn back. I have to make sure you all agree to this. When I say we turn back, we turn back. No questions. If you don't, we will leave you behind and we will not come in after you. Got it? They all nodded grimly. I'll let Joel know when we're leaving. You'll need to pack up weapons, ammo, food, and water. Don't bring anything you don't absolutely need. We'll be putting in a pretty hard hike, and if things get bad, you'll have to move fast. Let me tell Joel, Bo said. I've got some other things to talk with him about. Ray studied Bo's face for a moment. Bo was a short, stout man, half a foot shorter than Ray, with a round face covered in a thick, black, bushy... He had blue eyes and an easy grin, but he also had the look of a barroom bouncer, and Ray knew that anyone who got into a fight with him would have their work cut out for them. Let him know that I think this trip will take a week. If we're gone longer than that, he should assume we didn't make it out and plan from there. Ray said, putting to words what everyone else was afraid to. Bo looked at the group and they grimly stared at each other. If anyone else thought they were planning their own deaths, they didn't say anything. Ray nodded and left to go back to his tent. The others went their separate ways, but Alice walked along with him. Her sandy blonde hair was hanging down in her eyes. She looked over at Ray as she walked. This is a suicide mission, isn't it? she asked. Why? Ray said. Are you looking to get out of it? Hell no, she said. I'd just like to know what I'm getting into. You're getting into a mission that's just as dangerous as hell. If it weren't for the fact that without us, these people would go merrily marching into Memphis to become Purina zombie chow. You think the cities are still infected? Ray nodded and then said, The zombies from last night had been turned less than three months ago. We're so close to a city, it must have been another group of people making their way into it and not making it out. So why not just tell them to set up a camp somewhere close and give up on the whole Graceland thing? You ever talk to a real hardcore Christian? A believer that doesn't even know how to question? You can't reason with them. They know, and you don't. And while you're telling them the bomb is about to go off, they just smile and say God will protect them. These people are like that. But if I get a few of them to see that it's not safe, maybe they'll stay back long enough to make it. You sound like you already know it's bad there. Yeah, the cities are bad. Our orders were to keep people there as long as we could. I didn't have to do that. I was stationed on a base, and my orders were to keep the base secured. But they kept people in the cities as long as they could, even though it made the zombie population grow. I have to imagine that most of them are still there. It's where they spent their lives, and they couldn't leave when they were alive. Why would they leave when they were dead? Hunting for food? Maybe. It's really the only hope if they spread out into the countryside looking for food. But there weren't many of them out and about that I've seen. It's more sporadic. When you get close to a town or city, there are more of them. They made it to Ray's tent, and he said, This is where I get off. Cute, Alice said, but I'm already packed and ready to go. Then you should get some sleep, Ray said. Alice shook her head and said, I've been living on the rim for a while. 
this is the first time I've chosen to go to a more dangerous place. I don't think I want to be alone tonight. Ray looked confused, as if she was speaking some sort of foreign language to him. But as he looked at her, he saw that she wasn't kidding. There wasn't love in her eyes. This was not some sort of proposition based on romance. He opened the flap of his tent. She ducked inside. He followed silently. Before he could sit down, she had her arms around him and was biting at his neck. He pulled at her shirt. She backed away enough to give him room to pull it off over her head. She unlatched her bra and tossed it in the general direction of her shirt and started grabbing at his own clothing. The tent was dark, and the nearby fire only gave dim, flickering light. He pulled off his own shirt, and they embraced. Not out of love, but out of sheer animal need for closeness. They began to kiss, and Ray realized it was the first passionate kiss he'd received in months. He returned it, his hand sliding over her back and feeling her skin. He could feel small scars, probably from fights and poorly treated wounds, but it didn't matter. When they stopped kissing, they moved to each other's necks and shoulders, kissing and biting and tasting each other. He was the first to move downward, his mouth exploring her body and moving quickly to her breasts. As he kissed her breast, she sighed loudly and moved her hands to his pants. He grasped her waist with his hands and held on as she arched her back and let out a stifled moan. He started kissing downward again, feeling her hands in his hair as he alternately kissed and bit at her hard stomach. He moved his head up and started to unfasten her belt. She took over the job for him, quickly doing so and undoing the buttons in her fatigues. He pulled her pants down and then tossed them into the same piles as her other clothes. She grabbed at his belt and pulled him closer to her, still on his knees. Before he could help with his own pants, she'd undone them and her hand was reaching inside. Finally, he whispered through the pleasure haze, Oh, God, stop, stop her all... She drew back and looked at him, her eyes meeting his, her hand still working, building the pleasure. Or you what? I thought you wanted, he whispered. I like this too, she said. Besides, I don't know about you, but it's been so long that once isn't going to be enough. She stopped and moved up to kiss him on the mouth. When she pulled back, Ray got a good look at her face. She was smiling and still had a hand on him, slowly moving back and forth. You'll owe me at least two of these when I'm done, she whispered playfully. Ray laughed quietly and said, I owe you a whole night of this, and pulled her down for another kiss. He rolled her onto her back and said, I think that I am a lot of things right now. Tired's not one of them. They set out the next morning after talking to Joel who told them that he would explain his plan to those at the camp, and they should simply worry about getting in, seeing if it was safe, and coming back. They traveled along the interstate highway, four lanes of empty blacktop. The years had not been kind to the road, with large potholes and grass growing up through the cracks in the hard surface. Every few miles there was an old abandoned car, windows usually broken, and seats destroyed by animals, or worse. The first few miles, everyone kept quiet, keeping eyes on the side of the road, worrying when they came to a stretch of trees on either side, as it was easier for the dead to hide in a forest. As the miles went by with no incident and the sun began to set, they found an abandoned rest area and decided to camp there. Ray and Alice had said very little as they walked. They'd been, there had been awkward words when they had woken up, and Ray had spent the entire conversation talking about everything but what had happened the night before. As they walked, he wondered if it had been some sort of incredibly vivid dream.
He didn't expect them to go to Memphis walking hand in hand and promising to love each other forever. But the day went by as if they hadn't spent the night together. Alice walked next to Angela, as always, and they talked with each other when anyone had talked. When they sat up camp, Ray and Mark were the ones who gathered wood for the fire, and the others looked for something to eat. They had provisions, but they, but if they could score a couple of rabbits or squirrels, they'd be able to make those provisions last longer. Two hours later, they were sitting around a fire, a couple of rabbits on improvised spits. The sun had set, and the moon had not yet risen, so the night sky was dark and filled with stars. Ray hadn't eaten much, and was now cleaning his guns, making sure they wouldn't jam when he needed them most. He was sitting back, away from the fire, not so much that he was isolating, but enough that he was apart from the group. The others were being more social, sitting around the fire and carrying on conversations. Ray said he was thinking about going into the city, doing proper planning to minimize risk. The truth was that he just didn't want to talk to anyone. He especially didn't want to listen to Alice talk to the others if it's nothing had happened. He had no idea why it upset him so much. He just knew it did. He'd pulled first watch, so as the others went to sleep and continued to clean his guns, checking that the ammo was properly loaded and that he had clips ready to go. When he was sure that everyone was asleep, he pulled out the military radio he'd stuffed at the bottom of his backpack. It was the one that didn't work on batteries, but had a small crank at the bottom that, when turned, would build up about six to eight hours worth of power. He turned the crank for a couple of minutes until it wouldn't move anymore, then switched the radio on. He turned the scanner on and watched the numbers on the screen slowly creep upwards, ran through all the proper frequencies, and then did so again. It took about half a minute for the radio to scan all the frequencies. He put the radio at his feet and stared off in the distance, looking for movement. After a while, Ray heard something behind him. He turned around, pistol in hand, saw that Hunter was up and walking toward him. He reached down and turned off the radio, covering it with his backpack. I couldn't sleep, so I thought if you'd let me take my watch sooner, I'd join you, Hunter said as he sat down next to Ray. I don't have a problem with that, Ray answered. Why can't you sleep? Always been a bit of a night owl, came the reply. I used to have jobs where I would have to be up and on the road by 7 a.m. I couldn't really settle down and get into bed until at least midnight, so I think I'd spent most of my adult years half awake. What sort of job did you have before, Ray asked, not ready to turn in for the night himself. You name it. Had a bunch of office jobs, did some work at a youth center, even worked in a bookstore for a while. Usually after about three years I'd be bored and find something else to do. At least I did until I won the lottery. Ray looked at him puzzled and he continued. Yeah, I won one of those big multi-million dollar lotteries. Might have been the last one over a hundred million. Three hundred and fifty-eight million dollars, he shrugged. Not that it does any good anymore. You're kidding, right? Nope, he said, a big smile on his face. A little less than a year before everything fell apart, I won more money than I could imagine. I didn't even take the lump sum, wanting it paid out for 20 years. After I won, I went and visited all the women who dumped me to rub it in their face. Petty, but I figured I deserved it. I traveled around a lot while they built my big dream house out in Colorado. One of those self-sufficient homes with the wind and solar-powered everything. I had to make it perfect. Full gym in the basement. A home theater. Everything. One month after it was done and I moved in, everything turned to shit in the outside world. Holy shit, Ray said. Tell me about it, Hunter Grindon said. The good thing was that I was just far enough away from a city that no one showed up for me to save them. 
I thought I'd just hunker down and wait it out. When the stories first started, I did like a lot of people. Put up perimeter security, bought enough canned food and the like to last for years, loaded up on every DVD I'd ever wanted, was ready to just wait it out. The last week, when they were shutting down cities, drove down to Austin to pick up the one old flame who I was friends with. Brought her up to wait it out. Set the woman with you now? Yeah, Jenny. Hunter got a big grin on his face. She's a hell of a gal, but not really made for the survival lifestyle. Hell, I don't think she'd even been camping before any of this happened. Transition wasn't good for her, but we made it through. Having a house where time stood still helped a lot. So, Ray said, puzzled, why did you leave? Hunter laughed, a small dry laugh with no humor in it. Can't hide in the woods for five years and keep your sanity. We were friends with some other people in the area, and they had similar homes. We were all horribly rich bastards, and we kept each other sane. Four different families. Then about a year ago, the Kingsleys got hit by a band of raiders. Killed them all, just ransacked the home. rest of us were sure we were going to get hit, but Jenny convinced me to raid a gun store back after everything fell apart, and we had a hell of an arsenal. Me and a couple of the others tracked them down, then picked them off with sniper rifles. Frontier justice, Ray said. I saw it as prevention, Hunter said grimly. You see it in the movies all the time, but there's no way to prepare you for the feeling. I had no problem with doing it when we all met and decided to do so. Didn't have a problem with it when we were pulling the triggers. Now I have a big problem with it. I think that's what separates you from the raiders, Ray said. They did it and didn't think twice. It's the same in the army. They tear you down in basic to get ready to kill. You look at it, it's just part of the job. But when you have to kill someone up close, to see them die, to see that look in their eyes as they die, that's the part they can't train out of you. That feeling that what you've done is just simply wrong. Yep, Hunter said quietly. He looked up at the stars and said, The other two families left after that. Said they were going north. One of them left me with their daughter, telling me they didn't think they'd make it safely and they wanted her to stay with us. We stayed in the house another six months. Then some pilgrims came by. They were nuts, but we were going crazy in that house, just the three of us. No matter what you hear, you can have it all and still be bored out of your skull. We closed up the place, shut everything down, and came along. Ray looked at Hunter, who was looking off in the distance. His face was weather-beaten, and his long hair had gray all around the temples, almost framing the rest of it. He was wearing glasses. And he looked tired, not sleepy, but weary, as if he just wanted to sit down and stay in one place for the rest of his life. Was it a good idea, Ray asked? Hunter thought about it a bit. Ray watched his brow furrow. I love Jenny more than anything, and she was going nuts in that house. She's an artist, needs to be around people to get inspired. Beth was also getting pretty restless. She'd become a teenage girl, and you know they have to have other people around. Me, I'm a lot more solitary, I guess. Lately, though, she's been wanting to go home. Kind of thought she would after a while. That's why we sealed up the house and all. We'll probably help these people get to Graceland and then head home. What about Beth? I don't know, Hunter said. She's at the age where she wants herself a boyfriend. She might stay with those people, which would break our hearts, but that's what kids do. They grow up and they move away. You're a pretty wise man, my friend, Ray said, shoving the gun in his backpack. He moved the backpack so he could put the radio in it without being noticed. Hunter wasn't paying any attention to Ray's packing and said, We'll see about that, won't we? 
Ray nodded and walked back to where the others were sleeping. They had simple sleeping bags, and he rolled out his own when the radio in his backpack made some muffled noise. His head snapped around to see if anybody was up noticed, but nobody had. They were all sleeping, and Hunter was too far away. Ray grabbed a hunk of the burning wood to use for a torch, and went over to the actual building for the rest area, which had a bathroom. They made sure it was clear when they first got there, and a quick look showed it was still the case. He pulled out the radio and heard, This is Ricky. Is anyone hearing my transmission? Over. Ricky was the guy who'd lived in North Dakota, who Ray had discovered when he left the Army base and was scanning radio frequencies. This is Ray. Over. Ray, thank God, the radio crackled. I only have a few minutes of radio time left. My generators have gone down and I've lost power. I still have heat, but lights and everything else are pretty much gone. Did you get hit by raiders? No, came the reply, and it wasn't zombies either. Equipment malfunctioned a few days ago. Been trying to reach you an hour a night since then. We've been on the move. We're making an incursion into Memphis, and I'm leading the expedition. Understood. Will you be staying in that area? I don't think so. I came with this group because I wanted to head to the army base in Missouri, and after I get them settled, I'm going on my own. So, Ricky said, pausing, how long do you think it'll be before you make it to the base in Memphis? Hard to say. A few weeks at least. Then I'll meet you there. Say again, Ray said, a bit shocked. It's nothing for me here now. I've been up here long enough, and with no one to talk to, I might go a little mad. What about Annie, Ray said, knowing that Ricky had said he had a female friend who lived with him, but didn't give any other information but her name. She didn't make it, Ricky replied. I'm sorry, Ray said. The base is on the map I have here, so it shouldn't be hard to find, but once I leave the house, I won't be able to communicate. Yes, you will, Ray said. The next town you get near, go to the military surplus store or any sort of army base. He switched over to radios that could be recharged by a small crank on the bottom. You can drop them in water, anything. They're built for taking into combat. It should be pretty easy to find since they were standard issue in the Arabian Wars. Okay. I'll let you know when I find one. My power's failing. Talk to you soon, came the voice. Then the radio went silent. Who was that? came a female voice from behind him. Ray was so startled he dropped the radio and it fell to the tiled floor with a loud clatter. When he looked, there was Alice standing in the doorway with a torch. She looked incredibly angry and was waiting on him to respond. It was someone in North Dakota, just a kid. I found him on my radio after I left the army base when I was listening to hear if they were coming after me. And how long were you planning on hiding the radio from us? How long were you going to keep the fact that there's somebody else out there from us? It's not like that, Ray started to say. Then just how is it, Alice yelled. How many other secrets are you keeping from us, soldier boy? Is the cavalry just over the hill waiting to pop up if we try to go back to the cities? What the hell are you talking about, Ray said. You weren't there when it fell. You weren't in a city as the military were shelling the people trying to escape and get away. They said they were there to protect us. But at the end, they didn't want us getting out of the city because we'd take the precious safety from the people in the army bases and the secured homes. We were all herded into the city like pigs being made into spam. And, and, and at that point, she started to cry. Ray took a step toward her and she pulled out her pistol and leveled him at him. Don't you fucking take a step toward me. I will blow you away in a heartbeat if you move. Look. 
Ray said, slowing his voice and using the skills he'd learned in hostage negotiation training. He kept repeating the concept over and over in his mind. Calm, quiet, slow, and comforting. I wasn't part of that. I kept the radio a secret because I didn't want to kill people's hopes. All the radios went dead two years ago when the military commander in Missouri ordered radio silence. I listened for information on my night watches, and I only heard a few people at that time, most of them saying they were heading north or trying to get to an island or something. I talked to them for a month or two, and then they'd be gone. Sky Ricky lives in North Dakota in a house that had wind power and solar heating. It was just him and this girl named Annie. She just died, and he lost his power. His radio was going dead. There isn't anyone else? I haven't heard anyone else since I left the base, and they tried to talk me into coming back. No one's on the radio. Prove it, she said, gripping her gun tighter. Ray could see the sweat on her face, even though it was chilly in the bathroom they were in. Fine, he said, and he placed the radio on the floor. He put his foot on it, slid it over to her. He made a light scraping noise as it skittered across the tile, stopped at Alice's foot. She lowered herself slowly to grab it, not taking her eye or aim off of Ray as she did so. You can hit the scan button, it'll go through the different frequencies. If anyone's talking, you'll hear it, Ray said. She did so and waited. Ray waited in, as well and then said, Is it all right if I sit down? I've been on my feet all day, and if I'm sitting, I'm an easier target to hit. She nodded and kept listening. A few minutes passed and Ray finally said, If you want to talk, you can set the frequency with the knob on top. Then just depress the button on the side and talk. Alice waited a minute or two before depressing the button and saying, Hello? Is anyone there? She released the button and looked at Ray. The gun was still aimed at him, but she wasn't gripping it quite as hard. She stared at the small screen on the radio that showed that it was still cycling through frequency, and then said, What now? You wait for a reply. If someone is scanning as well, their radio will figure out that the silence was interrupted. It's pretty sophisticated. I don't know how it works. Someone once told me that while the scanner only shows a certain frequency on the screen, it's pulling from all frequencies all the time. And if there's an interruption on one, it goes right to it. She waited in silence a bit longer, and then Ray said, You can keep the radio if it'll make you feel better. I'd like it back after a while, but I don't tell everyone about it because it tends to make people go a bit nuts. They think that because they have something to talk to the rest of the world with, that the rest of the world is out there to talk to them. It just isn't true. Military are the only ones who had these radios. They were told to maintain silence. Until they were notified in person. I would imagine most of them are in storage somewhere. Yours wasn't, Alice said. And I'm not on an army base anymore, either, Ray said. I left because I couldn't take it anymore. Maybe there are a few other people, but they aren't talking. The general public doesn't know about these radios. They were new when we got them, and they used them so we could coordinate over long distances without satellites, which we were pretty sure were being tapped by terrorists. She turned it off and put it down, keeping her gun on him, warily. I can keep it? Yep, Ray said. I trust you. If you trust me, why have you been so fucking weird all day, she said, lowering the gun a bit. I thought you were the one being weird. You acted like what happened in camp didn't happen at all. She looked annoyed and put the gun back in her holster. Don't turn into a fucking girl. 
Just because we had sex doesn't mean we're running off together to have a house with a pool and a minivan. It's not what I said, Ray said, finally relaxing now that the gun was put away. But I didn't know that I was just a scratching post. Shut up, she said. We both had a need and we met it. And? And we may not make it back to camp, Ray finished. She nodded. Ray stood up and started walking toward the exit. When he got close to Alice, she handed him the radio and said, I don't think the reason you told me for keeping it secret is true, but I am going to trust you. If you tell Joel about it the minute you get back, I'll keep trusting you. He's the leader of our group, and he should know about all our assets. Fine, Ray said, not liking the idea of letting the Elvis people know he had a way to communicate. But let's worry more about getting back. And there you go, part two of Graceland, one of the Five Years Later novels. I don't know if I'm going to call the uh, entire series Five Years Later, because uh, the one I'm writing now is two years after this one. So, seven years later? Ten years later? Or maybe just later? I haven't decided yet. One thing I have decided on is this podcast has ads, like all the other podcasts here on the Solitaire Rose Network, and here they are. That's right, here at the Solitaire Rose Radio Network, we have ads, and our first sponsor is me. That's right, your charming and delightful old Uncle Rap Bastard. I have my first book out with Dangerous Dan Moore. It's the first hundred strips of our online web strip, Worldwide News, the story of the lowest-rated cable news network. And you can get yourself a copy with commentary, with all sorts of extras, with uh, signatures and everything. Just email Dan over at lordshadowflame at gmail.com. Our top sponsor, who's been with us since day one, is DreamHost. DreamHost.com. You need yourself a website, and DreamHost.com is the number one web host in the whole known universe. Just head over to DreamHost.com, put in the code CRAZY, K-R-A-Y-Z, get $20 off your first year. How can you beat that? Our other sponsor is Graze, G-R-A-Z-E.com. Healthy snacks for a healthy lifestyle. Just head over to Gray's, put in the code C-O-R-Y-S-3-R-5-P. Your first and fifth box are free. You can get them weekly. You can get them bi-weekly. You can get them monthly. You just order a whole bunch of them. It's great stuff to keep you away from the vending machine at work. Now, if you would like to leave a comment for any of the podcasts that we do, we'd love those. Go ahead and email us at solitairerosenetwork at gmail.com or you can call 952-856-0519. Operators are standing by. Okay, it's just a place that will record your calls, but we'll play them on the air. We'll answer your questions. We love getting feedback. Tell us what you think. Ask a question. Suggest a topic. Be a guest. Send us your stuff. Network at gmail.com. If you would like to advertise on any of the Solitaire Rose radio shows, you can. Just email us at solitairerosenetwork at gmail.com. Subject advertising. Thanks. There are other podcasts that we do, believe it or not, and I'm going to talk about them right here. The Solitaire Rose Podcast Network is filled with all kinds of audio goodness. First, there's Crazy Comics and Stories. It's been going since 2010. It drops every Monday, and it has me, your charming and delightful old Uncle Rap Bastard, and Joe Crazy Writer talking comics, shenanigans, and whatever we're freaking and geeking about. Every Monday morning. It's been going since 2010, and it's available at crazycomics.solitairerose.com. 
Also on that same feed is the Solitaire Rose podcast, which is me, again, your charming and delightful old Uncle Rap Bastard, doing interviews, talking about comics, talking about comics history, pretty much talking about whatever I want to talk about. We've also got Solo Joe, where Joe Crazy Rider does a solo podcast, and he hasn't done one in a while, so kick him in the shins to get him started. We also, on that same feed, have Solitaire Rose Series and Review, where we do DVD commentary of older comic book series. That's all at crazycomics.solitairerose.com. I also do a podcast with Wolfie B. Bad at badadvice.solitairerose.com, where we take listener questions and give them bad advice. There's also Novelcast, where I take the novels I've written and turn them into free audiobooks. That's at novels.solitairerose.com. There's also Fantastic Forecast, where myself and Adam Vermillion are going through the entire run of the Fantastic Four, four issues at a time. That's fantasticforecast.solitairerose.com. And if you think that I'm on all of these podcasts, you're wrong. Because Scrabbling Across the West is at scrabbling.solitairerose.com, where musician Dave Cofell and his wife Stephanie travel across America and then sitting down to play Scrabble and talk about the day. That's at Scrabbling Across the West, scrabbling.solitairerose.com. There are always more podcasts at the Solitaire Rose Podcast Network. Be there. Aloha. I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank you for being patient. I do promise that the next episode will be in two weeks unless something horrible happens. If something horrible happens, I will actually post it on the feed to let you know because I am very dedicated to this podcast. I know that sometimes it doesn't seem like I am, but this is the one that I care the most about, which is why it's probably the hardest one for me to put together. So I will be back in two weeks with part three of Graceland.